Guys, we try to keep track of most of the stuff on Game of Thrones for you, but if you're getting confused about who's related to who, or where is this place in relation to that place, highly recommend you check out that iBooks has an exclusive version of George R.R. R. Martin's original Game of Thrones books called the Enhanced Editions to help you keep track of the storylines and characters in really fun, interactive ways. There's maps, there's family trees. These books are available only on iBooks. So go to apple.co slash Game of Thrones and check them out. They're not available in all countries, but they will be available hopefully, where you live. After a one-year break, EW's Game of Thrones weekly podcast is back in action for Season 7, which we're kicking off with this special preview edition that's going to get into a bunch of different pre-season Game of Thrones topics. We're going to talk about the trailers. We're going to talk about our visit to the Thrones set. Uh, we're going to talk about the prequels that HBO is working on. Uh, we got some final season news, uh, and we're going to hit basically as much as we can over the next hour. Uh, I'm James Hibbard, EW Editor-at-Large. I go to the Thrones set each year and have written about, oh, a thousand or so stories about this show. And Joining me, as always, is EW senior writer and a huge fan of all things song of ice and fire darren franich darren how ready are you for this new season i'm very ready like a lot of people i feel like it's been such a long time longer break than usual between seasons uh i'm especially excited about digging in this episode because you have been doing all kinds of great stuff from the land of westeros uh reporting regularly on all the doings there um but you know just with this new season man i'm just like i, I feel like the excitement that we went so in-depth on at the end of last season, this feeling of just, like, the deck being clear, these characters who've always been so important coming back to the fore, and some other characters who we loved, you know, dying in a burning hellfire inferno. I, I just, I'm coming in now, and I'm just like, God, like, there have been some seasons that have, you know, taken a while to get going, and, like, you know, some of the best seasons have, have been that kind of slow burn, and I just feel like there's not going to be that this year. It just feels to me like we're coming in so kinetically off of of that finale last year and I'm very excited. Yeah, the pace is definitely faster this year and we're definitely going to talk about that and you touch on something that I should probably uh, tell our listeners for those who didn't listen to the previous season of podcast we did. Yeah, basically I go to the set and so I, I basically know what's going to happen but I can't talk about any spoilers whereas Darren uh, avoids all spoilers and so he's free to theorize uh, without inside knowledge so so we, we we work together and we do a podcast together but I don't share Thronesian secrets with him. Um, and we also got ourselves a sponsor. Uh, Apple iBooks is going to be sponsoring our first few episodes, which we're really excited about. They have these enhanced editions of George R. R. Martin's novels on iBooks. And, you know, it's it's great to get a sponsor, and but it's even better to get a sponsor, you know, that has a product that's really on brand for what we're talking about and is also really exciting, too. We've had a chance to to play around with these enhanced editions of Martin's books. James, uh, I want to start uh, your great cover story on the new season of Game of Thrones kind of began with an incredible and tantalizing bit of scene setting. You were there in the frozen north uh, during the filming of a scene that is quite momentous. You know some of the characters who were there and you have heartlessly refused to tell me. But uh, talk a little bit about uh, what it was like being on set this year. I mean, you know, you've been our man in Westeros for such a long time. What's the movie? like you know where were you what were you seeing what can you tell us about uh you know what it's like while they're filming this sort of penultimate season of the show in general you know uh the only 
only have like a couple of reporters in the set a year. And your goal when you're there is to not stand out. You know, you want, you know, when I'm on there, I like dress like a crew member. I try to uh, keep out of everybody's way. You know, you try not to, when people are shooting, you do, you try to avoid their eye line. So you're not like catching their eye and, and, <laughs> and distracting them. You know, there's all these little things that you try and do to get what you need while also you know, not making other people's jobs harder. You're like the spider of the Game of Thrones set. You're like you're like <laughs> everywhere and yet nowhere, and you and you know everything, but you you will reveal nothing. Um, it's funny, you know, hearing you talk about these different characters coming together. I, I assume you're talking about Davis Seaworth and uh, uh, the great Illyrio Mopatis. But um, I, I what's it like <laughs> talking to some of these actors this year? I mean, it seems as if on one hand you have actors who've been on the show for so long, and on the other hand, you know, some of them have been in different continents practically, you know, both fictionally and in some cases quite literally. Um, what's it been like for them sort of either reconnecting with these people or just sort of playing some of the uh, movements that are coming up uh, this season? Yeah, they're all very excited because these are castmates that they see at premieres and they see at Comic-Con and, you know, they'll, they'll see at different Game of Thrones events, but they've never had a chance to work with them before. And so they're all very excited to play off new people uh, that that they know and are perhaps friends with, and and uh, but they haven't had an opportunity to work with. And in some cases, it inspired some nervousness among a couple of cast members. They're like, you know, it's weird to do what I do in front of a person that you know I know as a friend, but I've never worked with and <laughs> worked with before. So so it, it's it was interesting to see the different range of reactions that that people had. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about just like uh, favorite moments from your set visit, uh, and 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 maybe we should clarify like uh, you know if if you can tell us like you know where exactly were you, what sets were you seeing, what kind of moments were you kind of witnessing when you were there. I think some of the most interesting sets I can talk about is one I was on uh, the silence which is uh, you're on Greyjoy's ship. And uh, that, was, that was pretty cool because, you know, I mean, it, it was sort of this, like this epic uh, you know, ship set where they have some considerable action scenes uh, this season. And, you know, as a, as a Greyjoy fan, I think you're going to be really into Euron this year, uh, especially com compared to last year. They're doing some things as his character that are a little different this time that I think people are really going to be into. And notice you haven't seen anything from him yet. You haven't seen any photos, haven't seen any video of that character yet. Um, I think he's going to be one that's going to take people by surprise. You know, they're, they're kind of leveling up his character. Uh, because he plays a major role this season. And uh, especially with uh, Ramsey Bolton now gone, uh, he's sort of the new human big bad mm -hmm. uh, in the season. Um, another cool set was this frozen lake that they, that they created. And it's, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, when these professional set designers t tackle a quarry and they make it into this, 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 you know, Arctic wasteland that you, feel careful about walking on because it looks so much like ice that you feel like you're going to slip, even though it's totally not, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, it's it, it, the, the attention to detail that, that, that they do is always pretty impressive. And, uh, I got to see Kit Harrington in some, in some wintry action, uh, getting paper snow blown in his face, uh, <laughs> by like five massive fans and to the point where 
you know, he was having to cough and, you know, make jokes about getting white lung from, from, from all the paper snow he was inhaling. My, like, personal dream for the end of the show, like, I don't think this is going to happen because I truly kind of think that, like, most of the main characters are going to die. But my dream is for Jon Snow to wind up sort of like a like an end of the Shawshank Redemption moment where he's just, like, on a beautiful sunny beach somewhere. Because poor Kit Harrington, like, there's people on the show who've been hanging out in, like, Spain and, like, all these, like, nice temperate places. And all he does all day is it's either, it's either real snow or it's paper snow. That seems to be, like, the two settings that he's that he is sort of constantly being assaulted with. <laughs> yeah, and, and that actor, you know, he's really had the most punishing, uh, you know, journey on on that show in terms of what he's had to do physically. I mean, he's always in the cold. He's always in the rain. Uh, a lot of times you see he's filming in the rain and you don't even know it because rain doesn't show up on film unless they fake it and, and make it show up in terms of in terms of the size of the drops that, that, that they're using. For, for the most part, if they're shooting in the rain, you, you don't even see it. So he's like cold and muddy and wet and rainy and swinging around swords, uh, you know, in the most harshest of conditions season after season. And he doesn't complain. He just <laughs> he, he kind of gets into it. You know, he really uh, loves that character and uh, really loves the physical challenge. It. Yeah, it's really been a decade of like climbing through corpses for Kit Harrington. So I'm like really excited <laughs> to see uh, what, what he has coming up. Um, climbing through corpses, the Kit Harrington story. <laughs> I would read that whole memoir. I would read the the a two volume memoir. Um, James, uh, you were kind of mentioning some of the stuff that we had seen in, in the trailers and the things we had not seen. Uh, when the first trailer hit, we were kind of going back and forth about it. I had a lot of theories about it. You said they were all wrong, um, but some of the stuff that I think people have been the most excited about are uh, the size of dragons this year. And of course, you know, you had that like great photo that ran in EW. Um, what's the what's the line that they've been throwing around? They're the size of like. 747s this year <laughs> yeah yeah i you know that photo man i've been begging hbo uh for a new dragon photo for a cover story and the showrunners approved one at the last minute and they i opened that email and i literally gasped <laughs> when i saw that i it looked like some epic fantasy painting i was so excited that i didn't even say anything to hbo because until after we put it online because i honestly thought that they made a mistake <laughs> you know, because normally they play their cards so close to their vest when it comes to action scene assets. Uh, I thought maybe they sent that one by accident and <laughs> I didn't want to draw their attention to how cool it was and risk them changing their mind. Uh, yeah, that, that image of, uh, of Danny on top, Drogon, on some battlefield with all these flames. It looked like some uh, you know, medieval painting. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you know what we really haven't quite seen is their firepower. And that's something that they're excited to show because, you know, we've seen them flying around and we've seen a little bit of fire action in the trailers, but what they can do to a group of soldiers now is pretty devastating. Yeah, I, I, I would think it's interesting because, you know, and, and this is very true of the books as well, there's this interesting aspect to the story where it's kind of like you begin in the most realistic version of a fantasy story. And even, you know, throughout the first season and, you know, throughout the first book, there's this idea that, oh, like, magic's kind of gone from this world, dragons are all gone now. And I love this sort of, like, gradual arc of getting to this place where, you know, you were kind of mentioning, like, the cover of a fantasy novel. Like, it feels like, you know, in a really great and wonderful sort of build-up, we 
we're now fully in the like you know Shannara like Dragonlance period of just these incredible creatures and I mean to me what's so cool to see throughout the trailer is that like the scope of the show has really expanded as well I mean like you know I, I count like three or four big battle looking moments in the trailer that they're sort of teasing which to me just kind of speaks to how the show itself has kind of really evolved and, and gotten more ambitious in its uh, staging is, is that kind of something that I mean it feels as if with this season as much as it is a shorter episode run it's definitely like maybe allowed to do a lot more elaborate stuff that they weren't always able to do in the earlier seasons yeah and just to circle back on on your point um in terms of what we have seen if you look at the photos online especially they all tend to be from like the same scene with each character <laughs> and the trailer kind of follows suit you're seeing about one or two scenes of each character. Uh, and what, what I'm driving at there is that as much as you've seen, you haven't seen a lot. There is a, so much more in the season than, than what's being shown at this point. Uh, so, you know, with some of these characters, you'll realize when you start to watch the season, Oh, everything I've seen so far is from like their very first scene and everything <laughs> after that is something totally different, uh, which is exciting. But yeah, uh, you know, to your point, the, uh, the, the, the pacing this season is faster and it's interesting because the showrunners originally thought this penultimate season would be a ramp up. It would be like, Oh, we're going to have lots of conversations and characters meeting and it's going to set the stage for a really epic final action filled season. And then when they went to write it, they realized, wait, if this person meets this person, then this happens, then this happens. And they realize, they start to put these characters together. They all want to kill each other. There's going to be some major action <laughs> scenes, whether we want to or not. So it ended up being a much more action-driven season than they originally planned. And as such, all the actors were saying that they couldn't believe when they were reading the scripts. It's like, wow, this is happening this fast. This is happening this fast. I mean, they're really ramping up the speed in which things take place. Which again, and to me, and I mean, like, I think back to like the season two premiere, which was largely about like, people are kind of like gradually moving places. There's something kind of weird happening up in the sky. We're just sort of like resetting where they're all at and pushing them in some direction. And it feels like this season starting off at a very different place just to pick out like some other great moments from the trailer you mentioned a lot of great stuff with the gray joys cool stuff out in the water uh i, th I think the moment that i kind of you know have gone back to the most just as far as being like whoa unexpected from that first trailer was um you know the the bringing together of the gray joys and the martels uh with the sequence of seeing yara and Alaria seemingly making out which to me seems to imply some much more interesting stuff happening between those two families I, I i like this idea of just 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 throughout what seems to be happening now is like as much as we're refocusing on the starks and on the lannisters or certainly like shifting focus back to these characters who've defined the show i like the idea of like these kind of remnants of these other families are now beginning to interact in some ways um now that i've mentioned the 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 great joys once i can move on to the fact that i really liked how the trailer started and put so much sort of time and narrative weight on Sansa. Um, it's funny, uh, I was fortunate enough to speak to Issa Rae, who's the uh, creator and uh, writer and star of uh, the show that's going to be on the same night as uh, Game of Thrones this season, Insecure. And she kind of mentioned that, like, you know, watching Game of Thrones, Sansa used to be a character where you were just like, oh, come on, like, what is like wrong with you? And now just gradually over the last couple of seasons, she describes Sansa as a bad bitch, which is like very true. And I just think 
think that like it's so cool to see how that character who I, I feel like once was sort of this if, if not totally despised certainly loathed figure in the sort of ferment of Game of Thrones I just feel like there's an incredible amount of tension and thrills and certainly excitement around her going into this season so I was super stoked to kind of like you know see her get such prominent placement in the trailer yeah this season for Sansa is interesting because this is the first time where she's actually had power you know she had some power last season but she was also in the middle of of planning this incredible epic battle and scrambling now she's in Winterfell uh, she has some control over how things are going and the question is is now that she has some power What's she going to do with it? Because as we've seen over and over again in Game of Thrones, getting power is hard, but keeping it and figuring out what to do with it is much harder. And, you know, on one hand, she's got Jon Snow in one ear. In the other ear, she has Littlefinger, of all people. And so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how she plots her course uh, through the challenges to come. Yeah, I feel like there's that there's that great line about um, I think this is from Robert Caro who writes all the Lyndon Johnson biographies that like power doesn't necessarily corrupt, but it does reveal. Like you know when you have power, it sort of reveals the most id, super ego, deepest corners of your subconsciousness because you know you're now allowed to kind of show that off. And to think of like what that means for Sansa after all she's been through, super stoked about that. Uh, also, just want to quickly call out I, again. This was the moment that I saw kind broken out most after that first trailer the the grayscale hand kind of appearing through what looks to be a, a prison cell um i realized i guess i do kind of like sir jorah mormont like there's there's definitely been times where i've been like ah oh, jorah like you're just such a like doof in some ways but i was kind of like oh man like you know the prospect of seeing him again seeing how he may have sort of like corroded just from uh from the grayscale really kind of interested in that i, I love that we're at this point where the show can have have 20 characters who I care about and then suddenly just sort of pull out of its sort of like, you know, you know, bench someone who you haven't seen in a while. So I'm I'm excited to see what happens with him. I'm not particularly hopeful that he makes it out alive from this season, frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, th- yeah, this season definitely focuses on uh, you know, in terms of his character on him wrestling with that disease and of grayscale and whether he overcomes it. Yeah, I, I used to dub him Sir Friendzone in uh, <laughs> the, the, the recaps. Poor Sir Jara. He's, he's had such a rough road. He has. Uh, James, uh, you were still talking a little bit about the pacing of this season. Can you just like talk in general about like some of the things we've learned about how this season is going to flow? I mean, like we have seven episodes, which I feel like people might initially think like, oh no, that means we're getting less stuff than usual. But I feel like one element of of your reporting has been focused on this idea of like, that's really not the case. Like, you know, whatever, whatever the timing might, might be the actual kind of a, you know, cumulative uh, effect is, is, is going to be not certainly by no means less than I, I, uh, I guess. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the cumulative effect is that even though you're getting less time, it's more in just about every other way you can think of. I mean, because they spent just as much time, and even more money uh, to make this season as they did last season when, when they did 10 episodes so, because they're, they're ratcheting up their ambition, uh, and, which they've done every season. And so, you know, the production values and kind of what you're getting is, is, is more lavish on average than before. And because there are fewer 
uh, characters than ever before, pure main characters than ever before, because they keep killing them off. And, <laughs> and because uh, you have characters meeting, uh, you know, the main cast members were all saying, wow, I, I didn't expect this, but I am working more than I ever have before. Because instead of having to split each episode between like, like eight different storylines and eight different locations, when you have fewer characters and you have some of them together, you're able to, you know, give your main characters more screen time. Um, and the third aspect is, you know, the running time itself, it, it, you know, it's, it's definitely less, but, you know, we also have a couple supersized episodes this season. There are two over 60 minutes, um, one of which is uh, a little over 80 minutes long. That's the finale. So that's basically a movie. Whoa. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, we're getting less in one metric, but you know, from the perspective of the producers, you know, they're giving you as much as they ever have, if not more in some respects. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you sort of mentioned this. this. This, I think, is the thing that I'm most excited about just as far as, like, seeing some of these performers. This idea that, like, I mean, I don't know when Critical Mass was. Maybe it was actually much earlier in the show, but there was a point where it felt like, okay, here are these centric characters. They each have their kind of supporting cast around them. We're kind of very quickly flipping between them, almost like, you know, a movie like Traffic or Love Actually, just sort of like constantly kind of getting these short check-ins. It almost feels to me actually like earlier seasons were this kind of cut up of each person having their own superhero movie. And now it's like, okay, now we're in like Avengers territory. Like now they're able to kind of right. come together more. And also to your point, now we're just seeing more of them, which, you know, interesting. I mean, certainly a lot of, a lot of sad losses last season from, you know, Marjorie to, uh, you know, someone like the High Sparrow, who was relatively more of a recent I introduction. But interesting that now it is sort of like, okay, like, there's no more kids to focus on because most of them are dead. Like, you know, some of the enemies are dead. We can kind of focus in on these characters, which I have to imagine for the performers, that's got to be so interesting this deep into a show. I feel like usually the longer shows are on, the more it's kind of like, hi, now I'm the lead actor who's now the producer and I want to work two days a week. Like, you know, David Caruso in like later CSI Miami, uh, like, like seasons. This seems like it's the polar opposite in some ways, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you know, you're asking about the set visit. One feeling I, I had while watching it um, was uh, some of these scenes get shot is, you know, and it's not an original thought to want more Game of Thrones, but I don't think I ever wanted more Game of Thrones than when watching some of these scenes. And at one point I asked the producers, I'm like, man, you know, you know, seeing these two or, or whatever together doesn't it make you want to do more of this? Because now that they're to, you know, these certain characters are together, it's like, wow, it's in some ways, it's like a whole new show. And there's so much you could do with these characters together that it almost it feels a little frustrating because you're just like, oh, we're getting so little, you know, time wise uh, of these new combinations that we've been denied for, for so long, you know, and you know, their point is, is that, you know, they have, they have a story to tell, uh, you know, they have a certain narrative that's been locked from, from the beginning and they want to be, and I think one of their biggest fears has always been, uh, you know, wearing out their welcome. They really want to end on a high note. You know, they, they don't want to drop the ball and they, you know, much rather have people being up, 
upset that there isn't more than feeling even slightly like this is too much. And I mean, listen, we all know we'd love to see young Griff and Lady Stoneheart hang out together for many seasons yet to come, but sometimes it only makes sense <laughs> doing it, you know, just once this season, you know? Iconic characters like that, you don't want them to wear out their welcome. <laughs> uh, nobody is ever going to know who young Griff is. That's probably okay. I have, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but I'll, I'll save that. You just love throwing in your uh, obscure George R. R. Martin characters to just to throw them in the podcast for all the people who don't read the books. Sometime soon, book six is going to come out. I, you know, this is something that, you know, plays out less with regards to watching the show now, because of course, this season fully, fully, fully into this realm of where showrunners are really kind of like charting their own course or certainly like, you know, are able to kind of chart their own course far beyond what the books have, have, have gotten to. But that's one thing that just as a fan of this whole thing, I'm excited about. You're listening to Game of Thrones Weekly. Game of Thrones Weekly. You guys know I love Game of Thrones, and I love A Song of Ice and Fire, the book series that George R.R. Martin wrote that inspired Game of Thrones. Um, when I used to read the physical editions of the books, uh, my one frustration with them was that every couple pages I would flip to the front to look at the map and reorient myself to where I was on Westeros or Essos, or I'd flip to the back of the book and kind of reorient myself like, okay, how does Kevin Lannister relate to this other Lannister? What are the family trees like? Who are the bannermen for who? Guess what? iBooks has solved that problem. They have an exclusive version of George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones called the Enhanced Editions, and they are enhanced. If someone appears or reappears for the first time in a long time, you can click on their name, see who they're related to, see what they've been up to. It's super key for the later books when people just reappear after 3,000 pages of not being in the saga, and, you have to, and you're like, what were they doing last time? Now you know. There's interactive maps, there's house histories. Just a great way to dive deep into the world of George R. R. Martin and the author himself worked on these enhanced editions. These books are available exclusively on iBooks, so go to apple.co slash Game of Thrones to check them out. They're not available in all countries, but they're probably available where you live. Again, these are George R.R. Martin approved, and it's a great way to dive into the world of Game of Thrones, whether you're reading the books for the first time or re-experiencing the majestic wonder that he created all over again. Speaking of, of obscure characters, we should talk about uh, the prequels too. Yeah. So what they're doing like twenty prequels? What like where did this come from? <laughs> what like you know, it's it's amazing. I, yeah, I first heard that they were doing three, that they're going to be developing three uh, a bunch of months ago. It took a while to to get it confirmed, and then it was uh, four, and now it's like five. <laughs> you know, so there's I have never seen anything like this covering television. But at the same time, it makes perfect sense because if you want a new series to follow up Game of Thrones, and by the way, HBO has never done a uh, prequel series or a sequel series or a spinoff series. They've done movies after a show has ended, but they've never continued a show in any way. So to do five, you know, makes sense because it's such lightning in a bottle to get one of these working correctly that they recognize that their best odds of getting one to work is to develop uh, as many as they can and just pick whichever one feels right. 
Yeah, and you know, it was interesting too because of course, you know, there was the initial report about all this. A lot of people, myself included, were kind of like, oh, this is like a great moment for the Brienne of Tarth kind of sequel spin-off. You know, I, I was already kind of picturing how like a character like that, someone who may not necessarily need to have a kind of grand finale on this show, could then kind of like, you know, kind of we could follow her or somebody else off on their own journey. I, there was a very rapid response from George R. R. Martin himself saying there will be no sequel series or at least that's not anything that they're currently developing which I found kind of interesting he also I, I think specifically said not going to be about Duncan Egg the kind of two characters that he's written about extensively in short story form he did kind of leave the possibilities open for a lot of the stuff he's done with the Targaryen family that's set like a, you know I want to say it's about like a century or so pre-Game of Thrones um, which if anybody like hasn't read Princess and the Queen and wants just sort of a nice little like uh, you know, preseason aperitif would definitely recommend that. That's a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, to me, it's interesting just kind of because I'm sure a lot of us are so emotional kind of going into these last couple of seasons. It is interesting now to kind of have similar in a way to when with Breaking Bad, you knew there would be more after somehow. There is this sense of, okay, like, we're not sure what this is going to be. We still know this is going to be like a grand finale for this, but interesting to think that there might be more kind of set in this world. I mean, how do you kind of feel, James, like, as we go into these last couple of seasons, the knowledge that there is maybe going to be more Thrones, like, I don't, I don't know, how should we, like, like, should that be, like, on our minds? Like, you know, it seems very clear to me that this show is a separate thing, right? Like, this is not, it's not like we're going to be getting, like, Saul says goodbye and then, you know, runs off to his, you know, new adventures or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, basically, from what I gather, we shouldn't expect one of these shows anytime soon. Game of Thrones will finish before any prequel series comes on on the air, you know, another thing, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, doing something about the, the Targaryens from back in the day. That actually was one of the rumors that I originally heard when I first heard they were doing three prequels, that that was one of them, but I, I never got that confirmed in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing that, uh, George R. R. Martin has shot down is the idea of it being about Robert's rebellion, which I know some viewers were wanting to me. Um, I completely agree with George R. R. Martin on this one because, uh, for the reasons he he listed, and that is, you already know that story, yeah. and by the time this show is over, you're going to know even more about that sh- th- that story. So, you know, it really runs into the Star Wars prequels situation where you already know what happens with the major players involved, so it kind of drains it of any suspense. Yeah. Uh, so I, th- I think the further you go back, the better. Yeah. So I, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, to me, like what's cool about thinking about focusing on the Targaryens is it's not necessarily further back in terms of setting. You know, I mean, like, you know, it is a different enough, like, arena of time that you aren't going to, like, meet anybody necessarily unless someone goes and visits the Three-Eyed Raven or something. But I'd be even kind of more intrigued. I mean... I guess to me, it all kind of comes down to how different do they want this show to feel? And, you know, is it also a big sprawling ensemble? Is it something like kind of different, more along the lines of what Duncan Egg is? I'd almost kind of like to see, just go like way, way back and do something in the sort of, you know, arrival of the first men and the Andals and the Roinar and all those other like various peoples of the ancient world who I totally forget about. Like something that's maybe a little more in keeping with like, you know, that kind of pulp fantasy 
Robert E. Howard type of thing where, you know, you're kind of seeing the birth of Westeros, but it's it's like the birth. Like, yeah, it, to, to your point about the Star Wars prequels, it's not like, finally, we see how the Old Republic fell. It's like, what was there before the Old Republic, so to speak? And, you know, how do these sort of like figures, these families who we kind of all know and love now, what does their kind of origin story look like? It, it, it would sort of be like the birth of Westeros civilization the same way that Deadwood was the birth of like American frontier civilization. So that's what I kind of see in my head. Like, you know, you almost kind of want it to be like the arrival of that first guy on the ship uh, who came from... Was it Valeria? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to turn in my my nerd card here, but like you kind of <laughs> want it to be like okay, like we're arriving in Westeros. There are these kind of magic creatures. I'd be kind of in, a little intrigued by that. My sense is they they'd go a little closer to the Game of Thrones universe that we know and love, which is also totally cool. James, uh, we've been sort of talking about what's to come after the final season, but let's talk a bit about the fact that we're going into the second to last season, seven episodes of that. Uh, what do we know, if anything, about that last season of Game of Thrones. I mean, like, you know, as we're sort of going through this March of seven episodes, where's that March going to ultimately take us to? Yeah, we definitely know that it is indeed going to be six episodes, which HBO wanted more, and the showrunners were very firm about it being six. Uh, I'm sure at least one or two will be supersized, just like this season. I'm, that's an assumption, but it just seems like a one that's probably right. Uh, we know the showrunners are currently writing those scripts as we speak. And we also know something that's really interesting. They told us that... Uh, that they're going to be spending a year and a half um, from the time we conducted, uh, you know, this interview just last month in May uh, on the final season. So even though it's only six episodes, they're going to be spending longer than usual to 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 make them, which follows everything that they're doing this season. It's like they're trying to make each season better and more epic than the one before it. And, you know, a lot of people looked at those shorter seasons and thought they were somehow getting less, but I, I think they were looking at it as, you know, how can we make it so that we can pull off the cinematic, uh, you know, big budget movie style action scenes that we need to do. And by doing fewer episodes, but having the same budget for the season, they're able to do that. So it sounds like they're really going to be focused, uh, you know, on this final season. And because of that, it might not air until 2019. <laughs> Come on, 2019? I'm, I'm 2019. so intrigued. I'm, I'm so intrigued by that. James, I want to hit you with some predictions for this season. I want to I want to give you I yeah, and you know you know a lot of what's going to happen you're you're going to you're going to tantalize me throughout this season of our podcast with some of the things that uh, you know about um my big prediction is you know we had that great cover with all the remaining Stark children hanging out together mm. what a fun time seeing all those actors together you know who knows when we'll get them all together right. in the show if ever but they sure looked happy you know surely the Stark family can't suffer any more tragedy. My my, <laughs> my my hot fear for the season is we're losing two Starks, counting counting the snow. I think it's going to be we're going to as much as I love Sansa, I, I think this season for her is going to be like a big showcase season. It's going to end with like a tragic death. I'll feel sad about that. I don't want it to happen. I think it is going to happen. From there, the question is like, all right, like 
Who else can we lose? Jon Snow can't die. He's already died. His tragedy is going to be that he's left just all, all alone wandering the earth like Kane in, in, in Kung Fu. Um, Arya? I can't believe it. I feel like so much of the last few years of the show has been setting her up on, we've kind of talked about this, her like Batman Begins origin story is like now complete. I feel like, you know, there's so much left to be done with her. Unfortunately, that leaves Bran. You know, he's the kind of guy where we can, we can lose him and he'll kind of live on in the trees, in, in the spiritual tree force. So I, I, I think... We're losing Bran and Sansa this year. I hope not, because I like both of them a lot. But I, I just I have a sense that like mm. nothing good like whenever something good happens for the Starks, like for them it's always mm. one good thing and two bad things. So and I, I I I feel like too many good things happened for them last year. And the two bad things will be Sansa and Bran kicking. Yes, yes. That's what I'm thinking. You mentioned Bran. Last season, you know, the show raised eyebrows among a lot of fans by opening up the time travel Pandora's box. And one thing that the writers wrestled with a little bit this season, going into this season, is what do you do with Bran if he knows everything? You know, if, if he's able to know all this and access all these different times and maybe even impact time, you know, how do you add that into a story without that taking over the story. Uh, on the set, they dubbed him uh, Dr. Branhatton. Uh, the producers did. And one thing the producers pointed out, and this isn't a spoiler, is if you go back and watch last season, what's important is that Bran asked the Three-Eyed Raven, you know, am I ready? And the Three-Eyed Raven said, no, you're not ready, but they're out of time. And they kind of had to do this like mega download uh, in, into Bran's brain. And so I think one thing you should look for potentially this season is that while Bran has all this knowledge, he can't necessarily access it in the way that would be most convenient for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's, he's definitely got been kind of messed up by this by this experience last season so so i i think that's a cool way that they've come up with to to handle that yeah. without it being this this thing that becomes overwhelming and that he it's all magic and he can totally know everything right right yeah like like what you don't want to have happen is like weirdly you kind of don't want him to become like dr manhattan the character from watchmen where he like does know everything but he's just like i'm not going to tell you about that now like like that is the most annoying <laughs> right. thing as a viewer when you're like you know you'll you'll find out soon like brand come on like just like just like fill <laughs> us in already um who were the first man um other other big theories we've talked a lot and you know my maybe my even structure for this is inaccurate and I'm ready and willing to be surprised I'm always intrigued to kind of know you know whether it's George R. R. Martin in his conception or the showrunners in their conception like what is the final boss of Game of Thrones and you know what is the lead up to that final boss and to me like you know right now the most compelling and and when I say final boss I mean like there's so many things that are just like cycling through the air right now as far as conflicts as far as like nemesis figures for our characters the fact that many of our beloved characters are nemeses for other people you know where are we kind of building towards and one compelling theory is you know 
everything to do with the politics and humans and the literal Game of Thrones is all just kind of prologue to the White Walkers. That you know we're kind of you know we're going to see the finale of that question of who sits on the Iron Throne, and then that person or people's first duty is going to be like defeating the White Walkers. The counter theory is like you know, is it the other way around? Is it that like the White Walkers? are this thing that must be defeated, but afterwards there will still be this sort of a real human problem still to be dealt with. You know, with that, I, I always think about how George R. R. Martin, one of his kind of great lines, he's, uh, among other things, he's great to kind of listen to as an analyzer of of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and of Lord of the Rings. He always talked about this idea of like, you know, after the battle of Pelennor Field in, in Return of the King, what happened to all those orcs? Like, where, where do they go? What's the sort of... And, and I, I find that like... I'm intrigued to see that, like, the show, as much as there is, I, I, I know, going to be this great showdown with the Night King and everything. I have to imagine there'll be more to it after that. This is all to say, like, you know, I'm not sure who this season's level boss is. I find it hard to believe that, you know, we'd see the end of the Night King. And for that matter, I find it hard to believe that we'd see the end of, of Cersei, who feels like she's the main nemesis figure for people like Danny and, and John right now. This leads me to assume that, like, I guess... You were kind of mentioning earlier this idea that Euron is kind of the new big bad of this season, which would make the obvious thing to say, like, okay, this season, it's kind of like, you know, Kill Bill Volume 1 was all about getting rid of Oren Ishii. This season is sort of, okay, like, <laughs> let's, like, swab the deck, take out this guy, then we'll focus in. That being said, as I'm saying this season's all about getting Euron, I have to imagine that the showrunners have a much more interesting and compelling notion of all this. Like, you know, again, this, this isn't literally, like, the second-to-last level of a video game, so I... I I'm intrigued to see how those kind of different polls kind of kind of play out. You know, like is there a Ramsey of this season, or is it a little bit more kind of a, kind of a complicated three ring circus? My instinct on this, and I really don't know, is uh, that the final conflict will definitely be uh, a human drama one. I, I think the showrunners have have always been focused on the human drama of the story, and regardless of how George R. R. Martin plans to end his books that the the final conflict in the show will be a human one, not a supernatural one. And I don't think it's going to be something where it's a hero versus a villain. I think it's going to be two characters or more that you love mm -hmm. and that one of them's going to die. On that note, my last prediction for this season, sure to be wrong. I'm thinking Danny and John, think they're going to meet episode four, maybe episode five. My My, my reasoning for this is... You know, we've we've got some teases in the trailer about John talking to someone about what their families used to do. Not sure if that's Danny. We know Danny's hanging out like much closer to John than she used to, and she now has a vehicle that happens to be her dragon child that she can perhaps cover large distances with. Like I like how for so much of the run of this story, the frustration is always like, well, it'd be great if these two characters could get together, but they're like ten weeks apart by like ship, or they're like, you know, fifteen weeks apart by travel and it's like now we're at that point in Final Fantasy 7 where you have the airship and you're like alright like we can go anywhere that we want to if we're Danny so I think that yeah. meeting happens just you know you were saying things are happening earlier than we expect the natural assumption I think would be that those two defining characters like that would kind of be like the end of season meetup you know like you know that would be we've talked about this before but like you know that's like the next like De Niro and Pacino and Heat kind of getting together moment <laughs> so I, I, I think it'll happen earlier than we expect 
what did I say? Episode five? I'm going to say episode four. That's when I think it's happening. Episode four is, 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 is the big Danny John meetup. You're already, I can already see you laughing. I can already see you. You're already looking at me <laughs> like, Franich, how have you gotten it so wrong yet again? <laughs> I do think the the idea of like Danny hanging out in Winterfell, like doing shots with the Starks, uh, you know, would would be a just I, I could watch a whole episode of just that. <laughs> if Game of Thrones ever needed to do a bottle episode, which if any show doesn't, it's it's Game of Thrones. That would be the one that I would select for sure. <laughs> Uh, well, cool, James. Uh, any other thoughts as we go into season seven of Game of Thrones? You know, as we kind of like wrap up, we're going into it. So much excitement. Like, it's been the longest wait ever so far. Probably going to be much longer before next season. Um, you know, what do you kind of think that like fans can just sort of be thinking about as we kind of go into this final season? You know, I think people's expectations for the show keep going up. And I think one smart thing that the showrunners have realized is that would happen. And so they've adjusted accordingly. The last two episodes of season six, uh, directed by Miguel Sapochnik, uh, were incredible. I mean, they're two of the most incredible episodes of television ever made. And they were, you know, received all sorts of acclaim and Emmy awards. And those episodes, I think, loom large in their mind in terms of, well, great. Now we have to beat that somehow, <laughs> you know, every episode. And I don't think that's possible at all. But I, I think everyone's going to be struck by just how big it is, how fast moving it is. It's almost like they have, you know, teleportation at this point in terms of getting from, from, from one spot to, the, to another in, in Westeros. And some of the meetings that happen. Uh, one of the producers had a great quote talking about how, you know, as much fun as it is to see like a battle scene with horses clashing into each other, uh, seeing some of these characters clash into each other is, is going to be some really exciting stuff. I and mean, these have been scenes that they've been wanting to write since season one and thinking about how they would write them uh, since season one. So I, I think we're going to see both on the action side and the human drama side, uh, some really exciting things. And we're going to be here, uh, you know, each week uh, releasing new episodes to break it down and talk about it and talk about things uh, from behind the scenes uh, elements that, uh, that were from the set, uh, analyzing, debating uh, each episode in terms of the twists and turns that happen. We're going to have some giveaways again from the HBO store. Do you have anything you want to share with us? Something you're excited about? Something that jumped out at you from the trailer? Something that you're hoping may come in from the books? Or something that you're just, you know, two, two people who you want to see finally get together on this show? You can always let us know. Uh, he's at James Hibbard on Twitter. I'm at Darren Franich. If you have, like, a much longer thought, you can email us at gotpodcast at ew.com. That's gotpodcast at ew.com. We'll be here every month. Monday during the Thrones season, talking about Thrones, going in depth, talking Greyjoys, Martells, Tyrells, Lannisters, Targaryens. Who'd I forget? Anyone? Nobody? Starks. Starks. Hello. <laughs> Only the biggest one, Darren. Who else is there? Are, are there any Starks left on the show? Uh, we're excited about chatting with you all this season, everybody. Thanks for listening. You guys know we love keeping track of Game of Thrones for you, but if you want to dive in and experience the full panoramic scope of the world that George R.R. Martin created, go to iBooks. They have an exclusive version of George R.R. Martin's original Game of Thrones books called the Enhanced Editions. Every chapter starts with an interactive map so you know exactly where you are, any name you can click on and find out who this person is and how they're related to everyone else in the family tree who you've met over the course of the last two or 3,000 pages. These books are available 
available exclusively on iBooks. So go to apple.co slash Game of Thrones to check them out. They're not available in all countries, but they're probably available where you live. It's such a great way to just get all the information you need, all the different families, all the different bannermen, all the different locations in a fun, interactive method. So go to apple.co slash Game of Thrones and check them out. It's a great way to experience Game of Thrones. 